Corinthians how many times? Five times. And I, I just want to make sure we, we're talking about Corinthians in the New Testament, not Chronicles in the Old Testament. Okay. <laughs> Somebody was like, yeah, you know, can we start on First Chronicles? I was like, no, 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 we're not. I didn't say I didn't say First Chronicles. <laughs> First Corinthians, we're in the New Testament, okay? Um, so I, I always want us to start with just um, uh, like a, a, a brief introduction to help us understand um, the background of the book, okay? So when we, when we, when we, um, I, I, I went, at, when we went over Bible interpretation and, and Bible study, um, I said that knowing the background information of a book is very important. It helps. Um, because sometimes when um, sometimes you may have, you know, two interpretations that seems plausible. OK, um, when you're looking at a, at, a, at, a, at a text and in order to know which is the right interpretation. Right. Sometimes background information helps you understand those things. Like so, for example, um, when uh, just a, for a, an example, I guess, in First Corinthians, right, where he talks about not eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol right so we'll say that has i don't know that i don't know how that applies to me today because i don't eat meat sacrificed to an idol okay um so uh the background information for this can help us to figure out not necessarily the the interpretation but maybe an application for us so um again like i said in bible study on wednesday in 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 corinth right they had this you know, they had they had several temples, but they had a huge temple to um, the um, goddess Aphrodite. Um, and so the meat that they ate was not like we go to the regular market and buy meat. Uh, most of the meat that they ate came from the temple. Because remember, you had to take sacrifices to the temple and, and, and offer these things. So a lot of the excess meat um, was then um, had been um, dedicated to idols. It was then taken to different shops or markets or places for them to to um, to buy th buy this meat. Um, but one of the things that we learned um, in excavating the city of Corinth is that inside the temple itself, they had little rooms where you could have pro have private parties where people would Im invite guests and they would sit there and they would eat the meat. Right. And there would be a, a, a idol. They would offer the the food to an idol and then they would eat. OK, so maybe an application knowing the background is, you know, we should be careful the type of dinner parties that we are, are taken to. OK, <laughs> OK, so just as an example. OK, um, so knowing the background information is oftentimes important for us to um, to help in understanding the background, understanding the interpretation and, the, and even often how it should be applied. Okay, so a couple things I want us want us to just run through. Then I'm gonna go through a general outline that I that I jotted down for uh, for um, First Corinthians. Okay. First, I want us to know that the focus of First Corinthians is not really theological. Okay, so. Most of Paul's writings are are somewhat of theological treaties, right? So you think of like Romans, right? The whole book is just a book of theology. Um, you look at Ephesians, and you'll see chapters one, two, and three is just all theology. Um, you you see that with a, a lot of Paul's books, he starts out with a focus on theology, 
and then he gives you the practical application of that, right? So he, he starts with just theology in general, and then he runs to the, to the practical. Um, but, but that is not the focus of 1 Corinthians. Paul is not writing 1 Corinthians to address theological issues. Paul um, writes, the, his focus in 1 Corinthians is pastoral, okay? It's practical. He's addressing issues in the church. Uh, so he, his, his whole focus in 1 Corinthians is all practical. Now, he, he, the, the basis of his answers on how to deal with the issues in Corinth, right, the, the foundation, of course, is going to be theology. Okay? But the focus, the overall purpose of the book is practical. It is to address issues within the church. And I think that looking at the issues that the church in Corinth was having um, is like looking at a modern-day church here in, I would say, at least in, in Western society, okay? So the practical things that Paul was addressing, he was addressing division in the church, okay? Division and unity. There's conflict, there's fights in the church, okay? Um, he addressed the role of Christian workers. What is the, the role of someone in Christian ministry in relationship to other people in Christian ministry and the body at large. He addressed church discipline, okay? <laughs> Something that, you know, we don't like to hear anything about, right? Um, he addresses incest in the church and why everybody is okay with it. He addresses the, the issue of cr um, Christians suing other Christians. He addresses the issue of sexual immorality, and specifically, okay, not just sexual immorality in general, he addressed the issue of too many people at the church going out and participating in something that was very common in Corinth, temple prostitution. So when you read historians in this time period, from this time period, they say that the Temple of Aphrodite uh, had 1,000 temple prostitutes. And temple prostitution was a great source of wealth in the city of Corinth. Okay, And so Paul says, hey, listen, listen, I don't know why y'all over here dealing with these temple prostitutes. Y'all need to stop. Okay. okay. Um, he addresses... Divorce, remarriage, and celibacy. He addresses weak and strong Christians, okay? And when we talk about weak and strong Christians, we're talking about not much like their maturity level. We're talking about their conscience. Um, he addresses spiritual gifts, and he also addresses the if issue of offerings for missions okay, or benevolence. Okay. So, these are the things that Paul is addressing in the Church of Corinth. And if you listen to, um, uh, listening to this list, you should hear right off the bat, this is the church in America. Okay? <laughs> right? He literally could have, if Paul was alive and needed to write a, a letter to the church in America or any other Western culture, he probably would just like, just like, you know, just let me just recopy 1 Corinthians and just send it back out. <laughs> okay? Okay? Paul is uh, addressing 
very practical issues, he addresses them with a theological basis, right? The cross of Christ, the lordship of Christ, Jesus set an example for us, um, etc. But he is addressing very practical issues. Okay. Um, second, it's important to note that 1 Corinthians is Paul's longest book. <laughs> it's the longest letter that we have of all of, of, of Paul's writings, okay? Uh, he spent more time addressing issues in, in Corinth than anywhere else, okay? And then he had to write a follow-up letter, <laughs> in case y'all didn't get it the first time, okay. um, which is actually, um, you know, a slight simplification. He actually wrote four letters to the church in Corinth before he could get everything under control. Two of those letters um, do not exist today. We've, we've, they've been lost for whatever reason. But we do have First and Second Corinthians. Um, third, the demographics of the city and the church was a major factor underlying the church's problems. Okay. So the demographics of the city, right, which end up being the demographics of the church, uh, became a major factor in the problems that the church had. Okay. So because of where Corinth is located, right, they have two ports on either side of the province. <coughs> they were um, a, a very wealthy city. Okay. So um, all merchants, right, all, you know, shipping from between Italy and India had to come through Corinth. Uh, and so um, they, uh, they, they had a mer whole merchant class grow up. They had all of these different um, uh, industries that grew up. As a matter of fact, um, shipping around this area became so, um, around uh, uh, Greece became so treacherous that if the ships were small enough, they would come into Corinth, take all of their items off the ship, and then they had literally, is, is, I mean, it's just like so amazing. It's like the uh, early railroad system. They, they made these, uh, um, uh, they would use wood to slide the boat across the four miles of the isthmus and then get back in the ocean and sail. <laughs> okay. uh, and so the city became so wealthy with all of these things. And in addition to the wealth, it also brought a lot of sin. Okay, so you have people from all over the empire coming through the city. There's all of the temple prostitutes. It's just, as one commentator said, Corinth was New York City, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas all rolling into one. Okay, okay. So um, you had, because of this, the industries there, it was a very wealthy area, but because um, Rome had been destroyed and then rebuilt by Julius Caesar, right, and he sent retired soldiers there, and they sent a lot of slaves there, you had a lot of poverty. At least half the city was slaves. Okay. So you had people who were very wealthy, you had people who were in the middle, and you had people who were actually slaves and poor. Um, it used to be a Greek, um, Greek area, Again, it was, um, was destroyed by Rome when Julius Caesar rebuilt it. It was a Roman colony, but they also had a significant Jewish population that lived in the city. Okay, so you had a lot of um, differences when it comes to race, class, and gender. And so, like the city, the church had both wealthy and poor, slave and free, and a mix of ethnic and cultural diversity. And you, we see 
Paul addressing these issues throughout First Corinthians because I think that this is one of the 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 foundational issues uh, in the city, and it just came into the church because oftentimes when we get saved, we don't change our mindset. We just bring those same viewpoints into the church and try to Christianize those ideas. Um, again, Corinth was an immoral city. Okay, in fact, as I said, um, a significant source of, of wealth in the city was temple prostitution. Okay, um, when I was just thinking about this when the guy said that um, that it was like New York, Las Vegas, and uh, um, Los Angeles rolled into one. It reminded me of, of when I went to, um, uh, when I graduated from college, uh, some of my friends of ours went to Las Vegas, and uh, we w- was walking down the, sh- um, down the strip one day, and there's these guys standing on the corner, like with baseball cards, tapping, tapping, it, tapping their hands with the baseball cards, and I'm like, what are they, ha- what are they giving out? So I uh, go and get, get, took a one of them from the guys, and they're literally naked women on the cards with the addresses to the brothels. Okay, and they had they plastered all over the you know the telephone poles, all over the bus stops, you know, and I'm just like, man, it he's correct that Corinth, I mean that 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 Corinth is like Las Vegas, New York, and and Los Angeles all all rolled into one. I can imagine what Corinth could be like. Okay, um, so because of the last thing because of the cultural background. Um, of Corinth, right? Um, they were attracted and addicted to supernatural experiences. Okay. Um, and they were addicted and attracted to good public speakers. Okay. So, you know, again, being immersed in Greek culture, right, they, they were looking for people who were good orators, right? And they wanted to have these great spiritual experiences. So, they were very gifted people, right? Even Paul says that when he talks about speaking in tongues. He does not say that they were, were, were not speaking in tongues. He says that they are very gifted. We'll see that next Sunday when we look in, in chapter 1 where he, he praises them for their spiritual gifts. And then he spends the rest of the, cha- of the book saying, you're very, you're very talented, but you're also immature. So, as I said, 1 Corinthians is the upper room. It is New Psalmist. It is, you know, all churches in the West, right? The 1 Corinthians is probably one of the only books that could literally be given to any church uh, in the West and be, you know, up to date and ap- applicable, right? So, we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians and see um, how does Paul address these issues. As I said, he addresses these issues from the basis of theology. He talks about God's wisdom um, in, in crucifying Jesus and Jesus' example as the basis on how to address these issues. So most of us wouldn't think if you're talking about divi- um, fights in the church, the role of Christian workers, church discipline, dealing with incest, lawsuits, sexual immorality, or temple prostitution, divorce and remarriage, weak and strong Christians, spiritual gifts and offerings. We would not think the way to address those issues is to talk about Jesus' death on the cross. 
And yet Paul is trying to teach us that Jesus's death on the cross is the foundation of everything, not just getting into heaven, but it is the foundation of how we address even practical issues in our everyday life. Okay, so let us run through the outline. Again, this is a generic outline. I'm not breaking down every single section, right? I, I, I grouped the sections together here. Um, but again, you know, of course, I will. Each chapter is going to end up being maybe two to three sections. Uh, we will we'll probably be in First Corinthians for at least five, six months. Maybe we're going to be here for a while. Um, it is a, a long, a long book. Um, but these are the are the generic sections of of what Paul is addressing here. Okay. Um, in our introduction, you can look real quick in in your, um, in your Bible. We'll kind of glance through these sections together so you'll know where we are are heading. They went in. All right. Um, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, okay, Paul is giving us his introduction. He's introducing himself and his letter to uh, the church in Corinth. Okay. Um, again, as we, we, we went over this on, on Sunday, I mean, I'm sorry, on Wednesday in Bible study, this is not Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Okay. Uh, he had written a previous letter. We'll see this when we um, in chapter five. Uh, he wrote a previous letter to the church that they misunderstood. Okay, so they didn't understand everything in Paul's first letter that that he wrote, and and then he gets some news from uh, Chloe's household. Um, uh, um, some um, someone named Chloe, someone in the church of Corinth, right? Some of her her people. Uh, went to Ephesus and, and told Paul about the conflicts that were taking place in the church. Um, then you have uh, um, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They then come to Paul in Ephesus and talk about the problems that are in the church. And so, um, and they also bring a letter from the church where they need some questions answered by Paul. And so, 1 Corinthians is actually Paul's second letter to the uh, again, the first letter is is lost. We don't have a copy of it. But Paul addresses um, the conflict in the church, and he also addresses the questions that the church puts to him. So um, here he begins by praising them right in verses one through nine. OK, so we all know that if you have any criticism that you want to give to someone, you start off by giving them praise. You know, you did such a great job on this, yeah, you know. But I just have a couple things. <laughs> okay. So so let me give you the, the title for this series. I forgot let me do that. The title for this series is Confronting a Contradictory Church. Okay. Confronting a contradictory church. Now what we'll see is in First Corinthians, Paul is more confrontational with the, um, the, um, the church in Corinth than he is in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is more on the defense. He's defending him, um, his apostleship, whereas um, in, in 1 Corinthians, he's on the offense. He's, a, uh, he's addressing them. You think you all are up here, but you're really down here. <laughs> okay. 
And so um, it's more confrontational because they are not living in line with the gospel. So, right, he's 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 confronting them over the areas of the contradictions that they have in their life versus the gospel that they have received. So in, in uh, verses one through nine, he starts off with an introduction. He, he's praising them for their spiritual gifts and, and all of those things. Then in chapter one, verse 10 through chapter two, verse 16. OK, I'm combining this all into one large one large section. OK, chapter one, verse 10 through chapter two, verse 16. Paul starts addressing the divisions in the church, the conflicts that they are having in the church. And the way that he does this, right, my summary sentence on this is God's wisdom displayed in the cross of Christ is the key to ending division in the church. The way that you address division or conflicts in the church is to see God's wisdom displayed in the cross of Christ. Okay. So Jesus's death on the cross should set an example for all of us on how we handle conflict when it arrives in church. Okay. Um, in, in this section, uh, you see, um, uh, uh, let's look around verse 12. He says, um, what I mean that each of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Uh, was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So the church is now dividing along which preacher they like best. <laughs> some like Paul better, some like Peter better, some like Apollos better, some like T.D. Jakes better, some like Creflo Dollar some like Charles Stanley. And Paul says, you all are immature. <laughs> T.D. Jakes did not die for you. Right? So looking at God's wisdom in the cross helps us to address how we divide ourselves in the church. Okay? We'll, we'll see that uh, shortly. Uh, the next section I wrote is, and uh, again, as I said, chapters one through four is all addressing division, okay? But Paul, uh, I'm breaking it into two different sections on how Paul addresses that. The second section on division um, is chapter three, verse one, through chapter four, verse seven. Chapter three, verse one, through chapter four, verse seven. And as I said, um, or in Bible study Wednesday, we'll get into this uh, when we get to, to, um, to chapter three. But I kind of changed my view of what Paul is saying here in uh, in uh, chapter three. OK, uh, because in chapter three, uh, we get this this Paul's explanation of, you know, I planted Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. And then he goes on to talk about how. Um, that, you know, he has laid a foundation no one else can lay, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. But then in verse 12, he says, now if anyone builds, chapter 3, verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, the work of each builder will become visible for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward, if the work is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, 
but only as through fire. And so most times when I've preached in it, every single time I've heard anybody else preach this, uh, this is um, given to us as a reason for why we should live a good Christian life. Because on the day of judgment, all of your works are going to be tried by fire and you will receive a reward or loss. Now, in context, as I've been working my way through 1 Corinthians in context, that is not what Paul is talking about. Now, is that true? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, if everybody will, will, you know, again, as I'm looking at this, Paul, again, is addressing conflicts and division in the church. So he's talking about the different factions or leaders in the church. These people are the builders, right? And so this is what I think that Paul is saying. He's saying that the future judgment awaits all who divides God's house. Anyone who causes division in the body of Christ is going to face God's judgment. We'll see that when we get to chapters 3 and 4. Then in chapter 4, verse 8 through 21, Paul is making an appeal for the Corinthian church to imitate him. Okay, so he finishes that up that the section on division. Uh, he finishes by telling them that they should imitate him because he is an example of one who is following Christ. All right. So that's the section on division. Okay. Chapters one through four, he's dealing with division in the church and he gives various reasons on why we should not be divided. Next, we have chapters five through six. Okay, In chapters five through six, Paul is addressing, um, I like uh, um, I was one commentary person, he has a, uh, an alliter alliteration for all of these things, right? So it's all of them start with a D. So first, he's addressing division in the church. And then in chapters five and six, he's addressing disorder in the church. Okay, so chapter five, verse one through 13, Paul is addressing church discipline. Okay, so he gives this um, this uh, story uh, as example of a person in the church that's involved in incest, and the issue is not necessarily the person involved in incest. That person needs to be disciplined. But Paul's conflict is not with the person involved in incest. His conflict is with the church, because. And, and I want to be very careful because we talked about this for like a month and a half in our cell group. And I'm not trying to re-argue the same arguments. But Paul is addressing the same thing that everybody in the cell group was saying. Well, that's not right to put people out of church because if you put them out of church, you know, they might turn away and never come back. So Paul is saying, you all are arrogant in thinking that you are so enlightened that you let people live in sin in church. <laughs> You're so arrogant to think that you know better than God on how to save somebody's soul and bring them to Christ. Then in chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, Paul is addressing lawsuits in the church. He says, 
you all are suing each other. Don't you, you don't even think that it's a problem for two people who are Christians to go to unsaved people to adjudicate between you? There's nobody in your church that is mature enough that can listen to you all and, 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 and bring some kind of conflict resolution. I say this to your shame. Okay. So he says, as Christians, we should not be suing one another. And if for some reason you are to take a legal loss, you should take that legal loss gladly so that you do not defame the name of Christ. Okay. And again, he brings back in this idea of Jesus on the cross. Chapter 6, verse 12 through 20, he's addressing fornication and sexual immorality in the church and says that, um, again, he's dressing, uh, I'm dealing with the people going to the temple prostitutes, okay? And he goes on to talk about how your body is the temple of the living God. And you should glorify God in your body. Your body was not made for fornication. It was made for the Lord. Okay. Then in chapter 7, Paul picks up with answering the questions that the Corinthians had sent to him. So you'll see repeatedly through um, um, this section, he'll say, now concerning this, now concerning this, now concerning this, now concerning this, okay? So he's addressing the questions that they asked. Excuse me. So in chapter 7, Paul it, um, starts off by addressing marriage, divorce, and celibacy, okay? Now, when you think of 1 Corinthians, uh, this is, I mean, there's only really two reasons Christians go to, to 1 Corinthians, right? Well, let's say three. They go to 1 Corinthians for chapter 7. What does the Bible say about, about divorce and remarriage? They look in chapters 12 through 14, okay? And, you know, what does, what does it say about love and spiritual gifts? He's like, you know, see, love, you don't love me because you keep holding a record of wrong. See, that's, you know, that's the second reason. <laughs> and then um, chapter 15, you know, we got to have a good funeral text, you know, so we preach 1 Corinthians 15 at every funeral about the resurrection, okay? Other than that, there's no reason to be in 1 Corinthians, okay? So uh, he starts off here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 40. He's talking about marriage, divorce, and celibacy, okay? And you see in verse chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, okay? And so he's, he's addressing uh, th um, this issue for them. I wrapped chapters 8, 9, 10, and then 11, verse 1, all into one section. Okay, so chapter 8, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 1, um, I see even though uh, Paul is addressing different things, I think that Paul is really, I think that Paul is addressing one topic and giving different examples of that one topic. So, um, in those chapters, I think Paul is addressing Christian liberty and self-sacrifice. Real quick, turn to chapter 8. Christian liberty and self-sacrifice. In chapter 8, verse 1, he starts off by saying, Now concerning food sacrifice to idols. Okay, so he's addressing whether or not we as Christians 
should eat food that is offered to an idol. So again, they may have an idol on the table and they would, you know, pray to this um, to this idol um, for the for the food. Right. So he's writing to them about whether or not they should 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 um, eat this meat sacrificed to idol. But I think that Paul's real issue in these chapters, um, the, as far as how we apply this, is talking about Christian liberty, right? Um, and so Paul's point, because again, it seems like he veers off course. He is, he's addressing this this issue of um, of eating food addressed to um, um, uh, um, sacrifice to idols in chapter eight, chapter nine. He goes into talking about him having as an apostle having the right for the people to to pay to to um, to take care of his expenses as he's traveling um, um, to do his work. But he does not exercise that right um, always. Right. He sometimes he works, as we know, in, in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker to provide for himself until um, uh, the funds became available for him. OK. And it's just like this is just an odd you know, insert into this conversation, because in chapter 10, he starts back with this conversation about food offered to idols. So when you look through um, this section, what I see is Paul is addressing the issue of Christian liberty and self-sacrifice. And I think that what, what I'll show you is that running through all of these chapters, and I think that this is the whole point of him bringing up this topic of uh, it's your responsibility to take care of, of my um, financial needs, but I don't always exercise that responsibility. He's teaching the people that you can have Christian freedom on a subject, right? Eating meat offered to an idol because he says an idol is nothing. It means nothing if you eat meat offered to an idol. But if it's going to offend a Christian with a weaker conscience, right? Their conscience is saying this is wrong. You should not do that in front of them. I know you want you like your steak. But if it's going to offend someone, you should not exercise your Christian liberty. Follow my example. You know, I have the, the right to demand money from you to, to take care of me while I do my work serving you. But I don't always exercise that right. I don't exercise my Christian liberty if it's going to harm someone else. And so then he brings it back to the same topic in chapter 10 and gives it uh, um, how this is supposed to be applied. So chapter 8, 1 through 11, 1 is about Christian liberty and self-sacrifice. Chapter 11, verse <laughs> 2 um, through chapter 30, um, chapter 11, verse 2 ver through verse 34, turn to chapter 11. Something that we just skip straight over and go straight to. We only need this on first Sundays for communion. We all know Paul talks about communion and how we're supposed to uh, respect the Lord's Supper. Okay, we, we, we see that. It's the same scripture we hear every single first Sunday, right? The night before the Lord was betrayed, he took bread, <laughs> right? But what's the issue here? The issue is how the more well-off Christians were treating the poor Christians. Paul says that, that 
during that time of communion, because they, they didn't have little, you know, little plastic containers with juice and crackers in them, when they just pop it open and be done, okay? They literally, their communion was literally called a love feast. They would sit down, and they would spend time and eat together. Well, if you have people who are wealthy, they don't have to work on, on, you know, the days that they serve communion. But then you have people who are slaves and some people who are poor who did have to work. But by the time they got to, uh, to the house for communion, all the food might be gone. Some people were already drunk. Right, they they had been they like, well, let's start let's start with the wine, and we'll just you know keep sipping until everybody get here, <laughs> okay? And so some people were drunk. There's no food, and Paul is saying that you are are not respecting the body of Christ because you should wait for everybody to get here before we start um, serving the, the food, okay? Respect the poorer people here, and so he even says that that there are some people who are sick, some people who are weak, and some people who die because they don't respect the Lord's body, okay? What he means is by that is you, you aren't showing respect to everyone in the body, okay? So it's about how we treat one another. Um, but we all know that part of, of chapter 11. What we don't know is the first part of chapter 11, which we skip over, which is, <laughs> we'll talk about this when we get to it, is, should women wear head coverings when they come to church? <laughs> okay. He says that when women pray and prophesy in church without their head covered, they're dishonoring their head. Okay meaning their husbands. And any man who prays or prophesies in church with their head covered is dishonoring Christ. So again, this is why historically in black churches, women always wear hats, you know? And while we tell men when they come to church, take that hat off. Okay, right. Now, is that, does that apply today? We'll talk about that when we get to, first, to chapter when we get to chapter 11. I know Una like, no, let's talk about it today. <laughs> I know we're going to have trouble with this one. <laughs> I don't think we're going to I don't think we're going to have trouble with it. You know, you should already pretty much know the answer if I've never told you you need you need to put a head covering on when you come to, to the upper room. So you should probably know that my, you know, answer, but you know, we'll see. Um then again chapter 12 verse 1 through chapter 14, verse 40, chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 14, verse 40, Paul is addressing spiritual gifts, okay? In chapter 12, he, um, he lists what the spiritual gifts are, and he um, talks about how um, that all of these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, okay? So he says the Holy Spirit chooses what gift each person has. Now, I know that that, you know, in, in some places they tell you, you know, you can pick your own spiritual gift. All you got to do is tarry for the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, you know, if you want to speak in tongues, just tarry for the Holy Ghost. And, and he will fill you and you can just speak in tongues. You, you pick whatever gift you want. <laughs> okay. Um, but Paul says here that the Spirit picks the gift that he wants you 
to have. Okay. Then when he gets to the end of chapter um, 12, uh, he says, um, do all possess, uh, well, verse 27 of chapter 12, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophet, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues, are all prophets, are all um, apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, okay? So the answer to all of those questions is no, everybody does not have the same gifts, okay? Then he says something that amazes me, that <laughs> the interpretation that people give, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so most people, when I hear people quote this verse, they're like, well, Paul says we can pick the gift we want. He says, strive for the greatest gifts. I'm like, y'all don't, like, don't, don't understand sarcasm? He says, strive for the greatest gifts, and I will show you a better way. So he said, you are striving for the best gifts, but I'm going to show you a better way to approach the topic. What's the better way? 1 Corinthians 13, love. Love is a better way than I got, I'm spiritual because I speak in tongues. I, I'm prophet so-and-so. <laughs> One of my friends got mad at me. He ain't speaking to me at the moment. So he's asking me about, um, I'm like, Are you want, do you want to be an apostle? He's like, you know, uh, what do you think about modern day apostles? They don't exist. Yes, they do. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, have you ever read the book of Acts? I mean, like literally, they, literally they give you the requirements to be an apostle, one of which is you had to physically see Jesus after his resurrection. Who today saw Jesus after their resurrection? Well, no, I mean, but that could be different requirements. No, that can't be. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, if you start a church, you're an apostle because, no, you're not. You're a church planner. Well, see, the apostles started churches. They saw Jesus, and Jesus said, go start a church. <laughs> okay? And so he upset. Apost they don't exist. There are no apostles today. There, there are none. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm like, okay. Well, instead of trying to get attention for yourself by having all of the best gifts, Paul says love is a better, a better avenue because love doesn't focus on you and your gifts. It focuses on I have gifts to serve someone else. My gifts are not for me. They say, oh, look how, look how spiritually mature I am because I have this gift. The gifts were given by the Holy Spirit to the person, people that he chose, not because they are spiritually mature, because as Paul's point is, y'all got this gift, but you all are immature. But the gifts were given so that you can serve the body correctly. Okay. And the only way to do that is to have love. Okay. Now he goes into chapter 14. Right. And we did this before when we, we um, looked at chapter 14. Right. I show I lo we looked at er all of the examples of the word edify in the in chapter 14. Right. So th the whole point that he's making is the purpose of gifts 
is to build up and edify someone else. The whole point of spiritual gifts is to stop looking at yourself and to look at other people. Okay, If you want to be concerned about yourself, that's in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is for you. Spiritual gifts is for everyone else. Okay, So um, chapter 14, he's talking about how to have order in the church service. Okay, When it comes to spiritual gifts, some people say, well, I got a message from God. And, and, and I can't hold it back. I got to speak. Paul says, sit down and shut up. That's, I mean, that's my interpretation when he says that, you know, the, 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 the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You can control yourself, you know. And so there should be order in the church. That's what he's talking about when it comes to spiritual gifts. We can't use our spiritual gifts to cause disorder in the church. Uh, we should have had that when we went to the, I ain't going to say the name of the church, that church. And, and they was like, y'all ain't spiritual, get out, because y'all don't want to um, um, speak in tongues with everybody else. It was only like me, Malcolm, and my, one of my other friends. We the only three people in the whole church not speaking in tongues. they like, go ahead and speak in your tongues. It was like a whole row of kids behind me like, la, 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 la. I'm just like, man, can, they, can we move on? I'm like, what part did y'all miss with Paul saying, Everybody can't speak in tongues at the same time. <laughs> okay. There has to be order in church. Okay. So we talked about that in, in chapter 14. Almost done chapter 15, verses 1 through 58. We all know uh, is, is Paul's um, addressing the resurrection. This is the, the greatest concentration of 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 teaching on the resurrection in the whole bible okay um in in uh first corinthians chapter 15 chapter 16 verse 1 through 4 um he's talking about benevolence giving okay he says look you all you know you all made this pledge okay y'all y'all pledged to give this money i'm going to be there on this date make sure y'all had the money <laughs> that y'all said y'all was going to have right because the christians in jerusalem are, are being persecuted I'm picking the money up so we can take care of these people. Y'all promised to have the money. Make sure y'all got this money. Okay. And then, because you know all church people was like, yeah, I pledged this. And he'd be like, all right, it's time to pay up. I'm like, oh, I forgot. I, I mean, I, I can't do that. <laughs> okay. So uh, last section, chapter 16, verse 5 through 24, Paul gives his travel plans, and then he closes the book with a final greeting. Okay, so... That is just a, a, a summary outline of what we will be looking at. Again, each chapter is going to be probably bro is broken down into maybe two or three sections. Okay, um, and so I, I probably won't hit every single section going through, but I want us to, to hit the main parts so that we can see the theology that Paul is using in order to address the practical issues. Okay, so next week we will be looking at chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 okay and that that's pr pretty much like the only positive you know week we're gonna have <laughs> i'm just playing i'm joking okay so he, he's praising them in verses 1 through 9 and then he gets into the to the heavy stuff after that okay so we'll probably get two or three sundays um in first corinthians then we'll, of course, have to stop because we got to give a message, you know, for Christmas. We got to give you all your Christmas message. And then we'll 
we'll jump back to uh, to First Corinthians. All right, all right. Um, let's uh, take communion really quick. I'm two minutes over my time. Don't forget, um, keep uh, Sister Mimi and, and, and her family in your prayers. Um, you know, her aunt passed away, and um, she's in Virginia right now. So um, we want to continue to to, um, to pray for um, for them. We're going to uh, send out a, a, a card on everyone's behalf. We're not going to have everyone sign it like we normally